Listen, if we haven't met, my name's Terry Smith. I'm the lead pastor here at the Life Christian Church. And let me just be real frank. I have missed this community, uh, this congregation, if you please, as an under-shepherd, my congregation here at the Life Christian Church so much. And I wish I could just give everybody a great big hug all at one time. And uh, just so good to see you in your, in your flesh and blood and for all of us to be able to be a part of this day-to-day. And you know, it's amazing, isn't it? And by the way, brilliance to the folks with the yellow umbrella up there. You would think that they put a little umbrella up here for me or something, but uh, I have a lot of sunscreen on. So, but, but good for whoever that is up there. I hope when we're finished uh, and folks are enjoying the food trucks and kids are enjoying the playground and um, everything that's going on uh, around here, I hope to see everybody before you leave, if that's at all possible. Anyway, it's kind of interesting. I was thinking about, this has nothing to do with the message I'm about to share, but just as a little preamble, ambling, rambling, um, I was sitting out there in the first service watching the worship on what looks like a stage that was made for this event, doesn't it? And I was thinking about the fact that when we built this building, we were so meticulous in every detail But one thing that I've never been happy with, I thought something that was always a mistake, was this. Because this looks like a balcony from out there, and we have some beautiful balconies on the front of the building, but this is actually just a roof that covers the entryway below, and it's always aggravated me because right behind me, this is, this is the reception area to the office. And so help me, almost every time I walk by, I look out here and I see this roof, and I, I think, ah, oh, that's one thing on this building that I don't like, and they put some big windows in here so somebody could get out and keep this nice and clean so it didn't get dirty like a roof, but, but so help me, the thing that kind of maybe the only thing that I thought might have been a mistake when we built this building has ended up being a tremendous blessing during this time. And I think there's a little bit of a lesson in life there, at least for me, that sometimes God has prepared things way ahead of you ever knowing that you needed it, and sometimes it shows up in a form that you may not even like, but it ends up resounding to your good. And I look out here at this parking lot, it looks like this tiered parking was built for this kind of thing, doesn't it? And uh, you think just a year ago we wouldn't have been able to do this because the, the old offices were still up there, but folks did what they needed to do to turn this into a parking lot. And I'm just, uh, the, the fact is, I'm just grateful today. I'm grateful for God's grace on us. I'm grateful for God's grace on us, even through an incredibly difficult time in, in, in our world, in our nation, in this region, in, this, in, this, in our communities, uh, in this church. It's been a challenging time, but the people of the Life Christian Church have risen to this season in a way that makes me, well, frankly, just to be frank about it, if I can say this properly, makes me very proud of the people of this church, and very thankful for God's grace on us. So I want to talk a little while today about courage and how to intensify courage in order to get from where we are now in our lives and this season to the preferred future that we believe God has called us to. As you well know, courage is not the absence of fear. 
Courage is not the absence of fear. Courage is about facing our fears and moving forward in some way in our lives. I know that folks watching online have that, that note in their life notes. I will say to those of you who may not have life notes unless you've gotten them offline this morning that there will be a few times I'll read things a couple of times that normally would be emphasized on a screen in front of your face. So let me say this again. Courage is not the absence of fear. Courage is about facing our fears and moving forward in some way in our lives. The technical definition of courage is this. Courage is the attitude of facing and dealing with anything dangerous, difficult, or painful instead of withdrawing from it. I like the work of Stephen Pressfield, and I thoroughly enjoyed a work of his, uh, a work of historical fiction uh, where he writes an autobiography in the voice of Alexander the Great. And there's this great scene where Alexander the Great has, has gone into battle uh, with an army led by his father, the great Philip of Macedonia. And uh, Alexander at this time was about 16 years old, and he received his first wound in battle. And this is what he says, My father never schooled me in warfare as such. Rather, he plunged me into it. I never saw him so proud as when I showed him my first wound, a lance thrust, thrust through my left shoulder. Does it hurt? My dad shouted. And when I answered yes, he roared, good, it's supposed to. Then turning to the officers and soldiers round about, Philip of Macedon said about his son, Alexander the Great, my son's wound is in front where it should be. And then Alexander said, my father loved me. His father was celebrating the fact that though Alexander, his son, had been wounded, the wound was in the front. In other words, he wasn't happy that his son had been hurt, but he was happy that when his son was hurt, he was facing into the battle. He wasn't running from it. He was facing into the battle. Courage is demonstrated when we face forward, when we face our fears head on. And if we are wounded, and by the way, we will be in life, it is not because we're running from challenge, but rather facing it full on. Obviously, guys, we're in a season for any number of reasons where we must cultivate courage in order to not only move forward, but to simply function as healthy human beings in this present environment. This isn't a surprise to you. You know that. And frankly, just to be real, real frank with you, which I, I, I always am, but, but sometimes I say things about myself I don't like. Frankly, I find myself fighting against discouragement almost every day. But by God's grace, I'm winning, and I want to share a little bit how you can defeat discouragement as well. I like, you know, to play around with words. I like to understand what they mean. I like to use words like etymology when I talk about the root meanings of words. But let me talk for a moment about the word discouragement. The prefix before 
The, the prefix dis before the word courage means to cause to be the opposite of. When we are discouraged, it means that we have the opposite of courage. When we are discouraged, we have no courage. When our family was younger and the kids were at home, um, we would sit at the dinner table every night together, and sometimes, uh, especially among me and our two boys, uh, in a way that, that, that my wife Sharon and I suspect sometimes our beautiful daughter Summer didn't enjoy, the teasing would get pretty pointed. And we'd kind of, in a way that the three of us enjoyed, kind of go after each other a little bit. And Sharon would say, and if she said it once, she said it hundreds of times, and it still comes up in converse, fun conversation today. She would say, do not diss each other. No dissing at the table. Well, uh, the, the, the idea was don't say anything that's going to hurt another person at this table. And by the way, she was right and I was wrong. But here's the point that I want to make. Some of us during this season in particular have had our courage dissed. We are discouraged. And it's hard to not have our courage dissed during this season. The first thing I do when I wake up every morning, I want to make sure I'm going to talk about the second thing I do later in order to recover from the first thing I do. But the first thing I do is I read news from a variety of sources in order to get my mind going and to get a sense of what's going on in the world. And as all of you know very well, the news is not good right now. For instance, uh, the New York Times every morning, which I faithfully read is uh, the very first thing it normally tells us is the number of cases and deaths from COVID-19 every day. And th those numbers for many parts of our country have not looked good, especially in recent weeks. Clearly, when I see that, I'm deeply concerned about the reality of this pandemic and all of its effects Clearly, we must grieve the loss of lives and health and jobs and school for kids and so on. The news is not good. But then the media often accentuates, politicizes, sensationalizes, and far too often exaggerates the news so that the news which is already bad gets badder, if you please. Uh, so... I'm reading the paper, the news, again, from a variety of sources, from all ends of the political spectrum and so forth, every morning. And I am reading it from a variety of perspectives, but one of those is as a pastor of a congregation that hasn't been able to meet together for three months, and as you can imagine, this is a matter of great concern to me. Part of what churches fundamentally do is gather together. It's literally part of what the Greek word translated church actually means. It means a gathering. It's difficult to be a church if you can't gather. And so I'm looking at the news through that lens, of course, every morning. This past week, I saw kind of a typical article. Uh, it was bothered me. I 
note, noted this on my social media outlets if you uh, uh, follow along with me this past week. But let me mention again to make a larger point, and that is there was a headline in the New York Times, the top story this day of the New York Times, that said churches emerge as a major source of coronavirus cases. Churches emerge as a, note this word, major source of coronavirus cases. And I read that, and of course, I was, my heart sunk when I read that because I thought, oh my, if churches are a major source of coronavirus cases, that's a matter of tremendous concern, and what does that mean for us and our future and so on and so forth? And then I looked at other news sources, and this had been picked up at the top of Drudge is this headline from the New York Times, and then I actually read the article. Four paragraphs in, this is the story. More than six, let me just pause and say this. This is a good frame of reference. Three million people in this country, and this is a tragic number, three million people in this country have been diagnosed with coronavirus, COVID-19. Three million people. Every case is one case too many. Every, every case is, is, is something of, of, that we care deeply about. Three million cases have been diagnosed. Here's the New York Times. More than 650 coronavirus cases have been linked to nearly 40 churches and religious events across the United States since the beginning of the pandemic, with many of them erupting over the last month as Americans resumed their pre-pandemic activities, according to a New York Times database. If you're following along with me, and it might be a challenge to do in this environment, but if you're following along with me, out of 3 million cases, 650 of them have been connected to 40 churches or religious institutions. By the way, how many churches are there in the United States? A million. 650 cases out of 3, mil 3 million have been connected to 40 out of 1 million churches, and the headline says that we, churches, that's us guys, are a major source of coronavirus cases. That's, by the way, zero point. 0.127% cases have been traced back to churches. Now, I'll give the New York Times credit for changing the headline a couple of days later. They got a lot of pushback. But I, I, I look at that, and, and, and I think, you know, the, the, the news is already bad enough. The real news is already bad enough. But then, the, the if you please, the fake news makes it even worse. It's like it's hard to read the paper, at least for me in the morning, or I look at it on my phone, and not find myself having my courage dissed, and it seems as if there are forces in the world who especially want to diss our courage as Christians. At this point, even fundamentally challenging our, our right to get together, right? The restrictions in the state of New Jersey would only allow us to have 50 people meeting in this huge building behind me. Only 50 people. Well, I just tell you, the larger story is I fight discouragement. Gathering together for worship and fellowship is fundamental, again, to what it means to be a, to church. To even meet together right now, we need to have courage. But further, let's extrapolate from this into your life. To get back to work, you need courage. For our kids to get back to school, 
we need courage. We must not ignore the science and the data, but at some point we have to realize that for us to live, for us to fully live, for us to go after the dreams that God has put in our heart, for us to live out our purposes, involves some level of risk. And I should say that it that it that at TLCC. I should say that at TLCC that we're going to be careful to assess what is right and safe to begin meeting together inside. Obviously, it's not something we've rushed into or will. But at some point, we have to see ourselves as a congregation and as families and as individuals not being satisfied and content with the present state of things, but beginning to see a preferred future and moving courageously toward that future. By the way, never forget, guys, that our world needs Jesus now more than ever. We must still be preaching and advancing the gospel. Some well-intentioned Christians are emphasizing right now that if we love our neighbor, we should wear a mask. To that I say an absolute amen, and I wear mine faithfully because I'm concerned about the impact that I may have on those around me. But I would say the, 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 the truest sense of the words of Jesus to love our neighbor is to say that if we love our neighbor, we should share the gospel of Jesus with them. The gospel of Jesus brings life now and forever. We can't forget who God made us to be. We can't forget why he called us out of darkness into his marvelous light. We can't forget we have a mission to fulfill. We can't forget the great commission to go into all the world to preach the gospel and to baptize people. And I feel like sometimes that our courage gets so beaten down that if we're not careful, we just accept the way things are. Instead of thinking God hasn't changed his mind about us, God hasn't changed his calling on us, God still has the same dreams for us, we still have the same future that's been promised to us, a hope, a plan, a future, and we've got to move courageously, facing forward into the future in our lives. By the way, if you've you know, heard me preach any length of time at all, uh, you're probably not surprised to hear me talking this way. Because fundamentally, you know, this is who we are. We're a courageous people who care about the things God's called us to do in our lives. When I'm talking about the things God's called us to do in our life, I'm talking about your businesses. I had a conversation today, and I'm getting sidetracked a little bit with someone thanking me for today's message, which you may or may not want to do. But they were thanking me because next week is the first week that they're going back to the office. And this person talked about how excited he was to get back to his job. He's a lawyer who's overseeing a number of all other lawyers in a firm. And, um, and, 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 and talking about uh, 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 the, the practice of courage and just getting back to doing what in his mind he's called to do, which is the practice of law and, and the defense of uh, underrepresented people is, in fact, the, the, the area of law he's involved in. He feels passionate about that. At some point, he's going to have to get back to his life, and he's going to have to have the courage to face forward. And not, it's not as if God somehow all of a sudden changed his mind about us and said, okay, everybody, just, uh, you know, well, anyway, so here's, 
what I need to talk about. We must take courage with us to our God-inspired future. I'm trying to look at this clock they put up here for me, and I can't see it, or the batteries run out. Oh, the temperature is too hot. Okay, guys, my clock is broken. And they, oh, they just let me know they're going to get me a new one. I was thinking I'm glad to not have it. Um, okay, let me be quick with the rest of this. So here's what we're going to talk about by God's grace over the next five weeks. It's that now that I've introduced the idea, it's how we must take courage with us to our God-inspired futures. There's this great story in the New Testament of the Apostle Paul uh, the Apostle Paul had uh, impacted the world in an incredibly significant way, and because of his influence, uh, there were uh, systems of both government and religious systems that felt so threatened by Paul and the implications of the gospel of Jesus that he gets arrested in Jerusalem. And by this time, he's already impacted the world in powerful ways. But he gets arrested in Jerusalem, and, and um, he's got a lot of people angry at him, and they physically begin to abuse him. And Roman uh, 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 officer gallops into the scene and pulls him away from these people trying to literally pull him apart. And, and uh, Paul begins to make a defense of, 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 of who he is and what he's preaching. And uh, the, the crowd gets upset and goes crazy, and they actually start fighting among themselves. And then you pick it up in Acts chapter 23, verse 10, which says, the dispute became so violent that the commander was afraid Paul would be torn to pieces by them. He ordered the troops to go down and take him away from them by force and bring him into the barracks. The following night, the Lord stood near Paul and said, and here's our theme, by God's grace for the next few weeks, Jesus stood near to Paul and said, take courage. As you have testified about me in Jerusalem, so you must also testify in Rome. So here Paul is in the midst of this really difficult, terrible situation, physically almost being torn apart, imprisoned, uh, his future looks bleak, and Jesus shows up and says, take courage. Another way that gets translated is, cheer up. Jesus says, cheer up, because I'm giving you a new assignment, Paul, what's been in your heart to do anyway, I'm going to make sure that you're going to be able to go to Rome and preach the gospel. Now here Paul is, he's in Jerusalem, he's in prison, everything looks bad, he's social distanced from everyone, he's not wearing a mask, he's actually in chains, and Jesus shows up in that situation and says, ha ha, cheer up Paul, take courage, because I'm going to make sure that you get from here to Rome where you're going to be able to actually share the gospel with the most influential people in the most influential city in the world. Now, Paul's journey to Rome, which is what we're going to teach about the next few weeks after today's introduction, Paul's journey to Rome ended up taking two years. He had tremendous highs. He had tremendous lows. He was falsely imprisoned. He was, uh, had death threats against him. He um, uh, was shipwrecked. He uh, also got to spend time uh, speaking along the way to some of the most influential leaders in the world. It was a long journey from Jerusalem to Rome that took almost two years and covers about five chapters of the book of Acts. And we're going to try to learn from his journey. But what God said to Paul was, Paul, in order to get from here to there, you're going to have to take courage with you. 
You're going to have to take courage from where you are to where it is I've called you to be. This wasn't, when God said that Paul was supposed to go to Rome, it wasn't a promise that there wouldn't be difficulty. It was God saying, I have a plan for you. In spite of the difficulty, you're going to face it, Paul. I'm going to be with you, and you are going to get to the future that I plan for you. Listen, we can never assume because God called us to something that there won't be obstacles, that there won't be difficult, that there won't be challenges, that there won't be enemies to confront us. But my charge to you today, if you will receive it, is to walk away from here and take courage with you to the preferred future that God has dreamed for you. And by the way, it's so nice to preach to a large audience. I'm, I'm sorry, to a live audience. <laughs> I'm so tired of preaching in a dark room to a camera. And frankly, I'm probably a little too fired up today. And the good folks up at Viscay are probably saying, man, this guy's crazy. He's up there yelling and all that. But you know what? Here's just the reality. I'm fired up. And I want to say to you today, regardless how difficult our presence is, our present is, I want you to cheer up. I want you to take courage because God is going to get us where he always planned for us to go. So the opposite of discourage, I don't know if technically the opposite, but at least in my mind for today, the opposite of discourage is encourage. The two letters E-N in front of courage are an intensifier. Actually, it's a combination of a verb, in, E-N, and the, of a, a noun, courage. So when E-N is affixed to nouns, it's an intensifier, which is to say this, your courage may be dissed, but when you are encouraged, you intensify your courage. To intensify your courage is to cause something to exist in a high degree. It's to make it very strong, to make it extreme even. Again and again in scripture, we see examples of how discouraged people become encouraged people. And over the next five weeks, we want to encourage you. So let me close with this. Three takeaways to intensify courage. I'm going to be four or five more minutes just in case you're wondering and you weren't quite as smart as the folks with the yellow umbrella to bring a little shade today. But um, here are three takeaways. In order to help you take courage home with you today, three simple things I want to say. The first is actively receive encouragement. Actively. What I mean there is intentionally receive encouragement. So, first of all, receive encouragement from God. There's this great passage in Acts 9 which tells us that the church enjoyed a time of peace and was strengthened, living in the fear of the Lord and encouraged by the Holy Spirit, it increased in numbers. The church was encouraged, how? By the Holy Spirit. The fact is that one of the words that de 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 defines the Holy Spirit in the New Testament is the word encourager or comforter. The Holy Spirit 
is an encourager. It's the very spirit of Jesus, the same spirit that showed up and said to Paul, take courage because I'm going to take you to your future. That same spirit, the spirit of Jesus is in you. And if you'll pay attention, the spirit of Jesus is going to encourage you. I told you that the first thing I do in the morning is I read the news and a lot of times I get discouraged. But then I immediately go into my devotional time and that's where I get encouraged because I go from bad news to good news. And as I begin to read scripture and as I begin to pray, the Holy Spirit begins to encourage me in the deepest part of who I am. And I move from having my courage dissed to having my courage intensified. So we need to put ourselves in a place where the Holy Spirit can encourage us. And also we need to actively receive encouragement from others. Hebrews 3.13, encourage one another daily. Encourage one another daily. Hebrews 10, 24, and 25. And let us consider how we may spur one another on toward love and good deeds, not giving up meeting together as some are in the habit of doing, but encouraging one another. Part of the importance of us being together, whether physically or virtually, is that we can receive encouragement from others. So put yourself in a place where you're receiving encouragement from God because you're paying attention to him and what he's saying through his word and his spirit in your life, and put yourself in a place where you're receiving encouragement from others. Secondly, so the first thing, here are three takeaways. The first thing, actively receive encouragement. Here's the second, actively give encouragement. Remember this scriptural truth. When you give something, you always receive more of that thing back. You reap what you sow. According to the measure you give, it is given back to you. So whatever you want more of, listen guys, incredibly important life principle. Whatever you want more of, give it away. This is true of love. This is true of forgiveness. This is true of encouragement. When you encourage others, it comes back to you. We have the opportunity to practice mutual encouragement then. It can boomerang back and forth according to our need for courage. Paul said to the Romans, he said, you and I may be mutually encouraged by each other's faith. I'm telling you, you being here today, interacting with you encourages me. And I hope something that I I'm saying today encourages you as well. Let's give encouragement and know it's going to come back. And third, and finally, act courageously. The theologian Mary Daly said, courage is like a habit, a virtue. You get it by courageous acts. It's like you learn to swim by swimming. You learn courage by couraging. I think that's a great line. You learn courage by Couraging. We can learn courage. If you want to learn to ride a bike, you actually have to get on a bike and risk falling in order to ever be able to ride. Do you want to learn courage? Act courageously. Another and better way to say this is to act in faith. Remember that God always meets us in faith, God does not meet us in fear. God meets us in faith. So, Take actions in alignment with God's will in your life, with faith in God, and expect God to show up and help you 
Final passage of scripture, 2 Thessalonians 1.11, Paul prayed, with this in mind, we constantly pray for you that our God may make you worthy of his calling and that by his power he may bring to fruition your every desire for goodness and your every deed prompted by faith. Friends, God responds to faith. And God brings things to pass when you do them in faith. And I'm challenging us during this season in particular to not be in the fear group, but to be in the faith group and to act accordingly. I'm not saying act foolishly. I'm saying don't live in fear. And somehow all of us need to find a way to face forward in difficult times and to continue to be who God made us to be and to continue working towards the future he planned for us. Never